0: All right. It's good to see you guys today. Um, by the way, the food pantry, uh, obviously, they do incredible work every week. What they did last week, or the week before last Thanksgiving week, uh, I, I don't know how many extra tons of food it was, but it was several tons extra. What are we up to, 37 tons a week? No, it's not 37. It's like eight or nine, but it was a lot. And uh, a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of people serving. Uh, and it's just a tremendous blessing to watch that, that group serve. It's one of our legacy grace groups. We'll be talking about that later on in the message. But I want to get right to the sermon this week. We're continuing our series on First Peter. And by the way, these messages are all sort of foundational one, foundational one upon another. So you can hear this one and get something out of it. But to get the full benefit of the whole context you really need to go back to the podcast or the YouTube channel and, and listen to the first 17 messages in the series just so you can get the perspective. <laughs> Why is that funny? 17 messages. That's not a lot, is it? It, it was 80 in Mark. This is nothing, right? <laughs> Week 18, I've entitled this game time. So my first season as a head coach for a high school football team. I'd been an assistant coach for a long time, <clears throat> but this was my first time as a head coach, and this was a brand new football program. We had never played a game before. It's a brand new team. We had never had we all the pads and the stuff were all donated from other schools and it was, it was kind of a mess. But we had a pretty good team, I thought, and we were motivated and we practiced hard in the preseason, right? But honestly, we thought we might be surprisingly good for a first-year program, but we really had no way of knowing how we measured up until we played an actual game, until we played our first opponent. And the night before that first game, I remember, I was sleepless, as you can imagine. Um, I was nervous, but I had this humble confidence that we were ready, but I wanted to find out what type of team we were going to be. When we got smacked in the mouth, would we come back and fight hard? Would we play well? Game time was judgment time for us to see what kind of team we had. And while I was nervous, don't get me wrong, I was also excited. I didn't want to avoid the game. Sometimes when we think of the word judgment, we think, I don't want anything to do with it. I'd rather just not go to court if possible. But I was ready for judgment. I wanted to know what our team was. I didn't want to avoid the game. I wanted to play the game. I was afraid of losing, don't get me wrong, but I wasn't afraid of playing. At some point, we all need a game. We all need game day sooner or later to have our faith tested and judged. We need to know whether or not what we believe or how we are following Jesus is real or just simply religious. At some point, we need to see evidence that our walk with Jesus is making progress to become what God has called us to be. At some point, we need to play a game. We need to know who we are. When we say we are followers of Jesus, look, how many sermons have you listened to in your life? Okay, let's just make it easier. How many have you listened to here at Grace Life? And is there any way to measure how you are applying the things that we've learned from God's word into our lives? The only way to know The only way to know how strong your faith is, how much you're learning, is to play a game. We need church to be tested. The problem is, too many of us are content with just practicing. We rarely get on the field to play. Our passage this week is in 1 Peter 4, verse 17 and 19. For it is time for a judgment to begin at the household of God. Well, let's close in prayer. That's encouraging right there, right? <laughs> it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. <clears throat> The history of this passage is interesting. I've entitled this section, The Household of God. Let me give you a little insight to what's going on, right? The first 20 years of this is pretty fascinating. When the church began in Acts chapter 2, that's where Peter, after Pentecost, and Jesus has been resurrected, and the Holy Spirit has come upon them. They go to the temple steps in Acts chapter 2, and they begin to preach, and the scripture says thousands come to know Jesus. Jesus. It's a brand new movement. It's organic. It's exciting, but it hasn't been tested yet. And initially, any persecution that the church faced was primarily just focused in Jerusalem from the temple institution, from Pharisees, from Sadducees, mostly Christians in the rest of the Roman Empire and all these other cities where Paul was traveling. For 20 years, we're seen as this small, silly group, relatively free from persecution, a fringe type of movement. But they weren't dangerous. They were helping the poor, and they were helping orphans, and they were helping old people and sick people. So no, there's no problem with them. And strangely enough, they don't rebel, or they don't do anything like that. So nobody really cared. The Romans didn't really care about the church in the first 20 years. The only people who saw the church as a threat... Were the Jews in Jerusalem? No one else cared. So, for two decades, this is beautiful, for two decades, the apostles traveled freely using the brilliant network of Roman roads and the infrastructure and all the order that the Roman Empire created, and they took full advantage of all of it, spreading the gospel, planting churches, preaching, teaching, training, and serving. And there was a sense of apostolic preparation for the inevitable tests and trials that were to come, the ones, by the way, that Jesus had predicted, particularly in Mark 13. And the apostles systematically, for 20 years, systematically, intentionally coordinated this message to prepare the church for dark days ahead. And then we see what happens is that there's this concept that throughout those 20 years, they said many will fall. Initially, there were many who joined the church early on, right? I mean, it's a good deal. You join the church, you get benefits because, especially if you're poor, they'll make sure you have food, you know, you have fellowship, you have safety and community. There are a lot of benefits for many people to join the church in the first 20 years. Community, support, fellowship, it's a really great place to be a part of. But there was a problem. It hadn't been tested. You see, once there was an earthly cost associated with being a disciple of Jesus, many of them returned to their former lives. Frankly, it's like many in the American church, isn't it? It became a place to get what we thought we needed, when we needed it. But we really didn't have any real commitment, no service together, no loving one another, no caring. We just showed up, got what we wanted, and left. I mean, let's be vulnerable here for just a minute. A little aside. You can tell if you're one of those that fall away easily, because it won't take much for you to decide to neglect your church family. So let's fast forward after the 20 years. Around 54 AD, Nero comes into power. And there's widespread persecution that begins. We talked about this several times over the last several weeks. But the game is just getting started. And Peter says, judgment is coming to the household of God. You will endure many different types of sadness. And frankly, many of you in your number will not pass this test. This was also something, by the way, that Jesus taught, connected to those prophecies in Mark 13 that we've been talking about this whole time, about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Look what he says in Matthew 24, verses 10 through 12. And then many will fall away and betray one another, hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. All the apostles echoed this same message, this same warning, that many claiming to be followers of Jesus would fall away when the game really began. As a matter of fact, look what Paul said in 1 Timothy. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. Look what Peter says in 2 Peter, which we'll get to after this series. Verses, chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, scoffers will come in these last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. So this falling away started under Nero. And while predictable, it was still heartbreaking when the apostles saw People falling away. As a matter of fact, Paul mentioned one specifically that really broke his heart. In 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the first part of verse 10, for Demas, and just so you understand, Demas was very close to Paul. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. There is one by name who fell away. Boy, it stinks to be Demas, doesn't it? <laughs> Recorded for 2,000 years, ah, oh, Demas, you fell away, congrats. But now, fast forward again 10 years later, after 54 AD, Nero's been in charge for a decade. It's now 64 AD. Peter writes, 1 Peter, and he says, after Jerusalem falls, the suffering is going to get worse and more will fall away. So that's the history of today's passage. Look at the spiritual application of this week's passage. What about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? I've entitled this judgment in the house. It sounds ominous. And there are different types of judgment. First, let's talk about scary judgment, okay? what peter actually does is he quotes jeremiah 25:29 if the righteous is scarcely saved what will become of the ungodly and the and the sinner you see what this is it is a comparative i mean if judgment is scary for people who know christ imagine what judgment is going to be like for people who don't see peter compares two different types of judgment one for the household of god and one for those outside of the household of god so for flow and context Even though he mentions the the bad one second, I'm going to start with it first, just to give you some ideas. It's the kind of judgment that none of us ever want to face. Whether it's earthly or eternal, it's judgment that includes an accusation, guilt, conviction, and punishment. It's a judgment to be feared, knowing our sins are being revealed, and that revelation will cause us grief, sadness and severe consequence. We hope we can escape the consequence of our sin, but we know that if we are judged and the evidence is looked at, we're in big trouble. The old house of God, the old household of God, which was what? The temple and its members wouldn't survive because God doesn't live there anymore. That's the whole point of Mark 13. But Peter says the new household of God, the church, Faces a different kind of judgment. And for lack of a better term, I'll just call this good judgment. (laughs) Peter says fiery trials are coming. Now, this word fiery doesn't mean hell. And it doesn't refer to the intensity. Although, if you were here last week and you heard me read from that book by H.B. Workman about, about Christian persecution, for 230 years, the church faced some pretty nasty stuff, right? I read it to you. It's unbelievable what for... Almost for as long as America has been a country, the church suffered incredible, disgusting persecution. So we know that it would be intense, but when Peter says fiery trials, he's not talking about hell and he's not talking about the intensity. Peter's doing something different here. He's using an analogy. The analogy is about the process used to purify precious metals. With fire, you turn up the heat. The heat causes the impurities to separate And rise to the top, and then they're scraped off and discarded, and now whatever metal you're purifying is pure. He says, don't be surprised when these purifying trials hit you. The new household of God, which is the church where, by the way, if you remember from last week, where God is, where his spirit rests upon us and resides in us, that household will survive this testing and this judgment. The judgment in the household of God for that, in that perspective, if you think about it, it's actually a judgment of affirmation, not damnation. It's a judgment of approval through purification. It's a positive judgment. The result of a successful investigation into the strength and durability of the gift of faith that you have been given. It's a judgment with a verdict, not only of exoneration, but affirmation, confirmation, and verification, yes, you are indeed a part of the household of God. That's the kind of judgment the household of God or the church faces, where their faith, our faith, is proven reliable under any and all circumstances. It's the judgment, frankly, that if we are children of God, we can face with tremendous confidence, knowing the outcome will bring hope, peace, and joy, and you remember the definition of joy, the supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God over anything else. It's a judgment that we already know the result of, not because of our own merit or things that we point to in our own life, but because we know, according to last weiss message, we have the spirit that also, Peter says, rests upon us. But... There is going to be fire in the house. Jesus taught this to his apostles. See if you can pick up the similarities in this. I took an excerpt from one of the parables about building a house on a foundation that won't sink. See if you can pick up the similarities here. Fire, house of God, the work of the Spirit. Paul references this parable in 1 Corinthians. Each one's work will be shown. For the day will reveal it by fire that will test what sort of work each has done. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? You see how that's all included in there? It's a parable about a process that verifies faith time and time and time. And time again, it's a process that affirms our faith will endure. And why does our faith endure? Is it because we're good at being Baptist or Catholics or non-denominational Christians? No, it endures because we are a part of the household in which the Spirit of God rests and dwells. It's a trial revealing who the real, let me say it again, it's a trial revealing who the real followers of Jesus are and differentiates us from those who are just part of the Jesus crowd for selfish reasons. So how did the first century church do in the next 200 years? Well, they carried the burden to keep the movement going even on the threat of death. God verified their faith, and the church thrived. How do we know? Because they became a household of priests that did three things, right? Proclamation, integrity, and industry. We've been talking about that as the definition of this royal priesthood. They spread the gospel, and the way they lived their lives with integrity and industry left people around them with their heads scratching. What what is this group? What are they doing? And despite all their flaws, and they did have a lot of flaws, God used this process to verify them and to inspire his elect to spread the gospel throughout the world. As a result, for the last 2,000 years, the kingdom of heaven has been advancing and expanding no matter what hardship it faced, no matter what country came in in the way, no matter what natural catastrophe came in the way. Nothing could stop the advancement of the kingdom because the, the household of God had been verified through trials. The spirit that rested upon them has inspired them and motivated them. Saints have been inspired. Get this now. It was so incredible. Saints have been inspired to learn new languages, to leave the comforts of home. And other saints were inspired to sacrificially send those who were ready to go. Doesn't that sound like a passage that Paul talked about? How shall they go if there's not a preacher? How will there be a preacher? There isn't one who is sent. How beautiful are the feet of those who take the gospel. All of this, for the last 2,000 years, how the church has advanced, no matter what, is undeniable proof that we are a verified part of the household of God, and the church has passed judgment. But that brings me to the personal section today. You know what? We need a game. The American church desperately needs a game. This was the sermon preview this week. For true followers of Jesus, judgment isn't about how good we are. It's about how great God is at saving and transforming us. See, their faith was affirmed. And now it's our turn. And by that, I also mean you. It's specifically your turn. Look, some of us... I know that came across bad. Let me just, I don't want to be, I don't want to sound there because I struggle with this too. Some of us cannot continue to follow Jesus like you have been. If you do, your faith will fail the test. But Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, I love this verse, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but as much more in my absence, here's what he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, the question really isn't, will you go through trials that test your faith? But when? And if what you believe is faith can actually persevere and that you remain faithful Sometimes the trials aren't necessarily hardship. Sometimes it's just things that distract you from the real work of the kingdom of God, of being priests who proclaim, live with integrity, and work with industry. You have to understand, fiery trials aren't punishment. Also, a lack of fiery trials isn't a sign that you've been blessed. Just keep that in mind. For a Christian... For a Christian, judgment isn't fear of consequences. For a Christian, judgment is about verification, motivation, inspiration, and affirmation. We need to be ready for game day. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 24. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed, proclamation, through all, throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So, my dear church family, we have covered an awful lot of hard ground so far in 1 Peter. And I really do mean it. If you haven't heard the other ones, you need to go back because they're so important and critical to the next steps for our church. Here's some of the things we've learned. Let's just kind of recap them a little bit. We've learned that true, chosen royal priests will be committed to proclamation, committed to living with integrity, and committed to working with industry, working diligently, working hard. We've learned we will be people, if we are children of God who have been called, we will be people who learn how to submit to government, which was commanded, honor those in authority, and seek first peace above all else remember what they were facing compared to what we're facing seeking peace above all else we have learned that we can be people if we are children of god who will be zealous for the for good even to the point of death if necessary we've learned we will be people who desire to be ready at any moment to fulfill our role as priests of proclamation, integrity, and industry. We've learned the importance of placing unity and love and community with our fellow brothers and sisters at the highest possible priority. Okay, so now I don't mean to sound pushy, but I kind of do, but but then I don't, but I do. (laughs) Look, at some point, you must start looking like you're part of the household of God some way. It's time. It's time to verify the faith that is in the household of God, particularly at Grace Life. It's time for us to take what we've learned and verify that we are, in fact, the real thing. There must be, not possibly be, there must be evidence That we are fully embracing our role as kingdom priests of proclamation, integrity, and industry. We must show our faith. Our faith isn't just some silly, convenient attachment to the household of God for all the benefits it might give us or our families. That's how many people in the American church are. We are conveniently attached to the household of God. And as soon as it costs us a little bit, or there's a little struggle, or there's a strain in a relationship, we're on to the next house. See, we must demonstrate that we understand that our responsibilities within this chosen royal priesthood are real and important. We need to play a game so that we can stop wondering if we are part of the household of God and know for sure that we are. We do too much walking with Jesus in narcissistic solitude. Let me tell you something. And I'm not saying that quiet time isn't isn't good. It it is. But, you know, we have glorified quiet time in the American. The first century church didn't have time to, to curl up with their bagel and their designer coffee on the beach with a blanket and read God's word. They didn't have God's word. First thing they did when they got up, holy cow, who's going to kill me this morning for following Jesus? (laughs) Let me tell you something. Quiet time is good, but I'll tell you this. Time in solitude alone will never prepare you for a fiery trial. Ever. We cannot be convenient followers of Jesus anymore. There must be evidence we have been called to the priesthood Judgment is in the household of God today. There must be evidence you are irresistibly called and inspired to be a relentless, reliable part of the household of God. Enough with the practicing, church. Enough. It's time for a game. So in 2022, in response to 1 Peter, grace life It's going to be kicking it up a notch. We're starting grace groups. But it's different than what you might think of as just small groups. It's different than that. We need to prepare our church for purifying trials, for fiery trials that may come our way, whether they be individual or corporate. You know, we have some people in our church right now who are facing severe fiery trials. We should be so close as a church, every one of us knows who it is and knows how to reach out, but we don't. So we need this community to come together. We're gonna have these grace groups and each grace group will have three primary purposes that I see coming out of 1 Peter. Every one of them will do three things. The first thing they will do is they will give us an opportunity to live to learn and to serve together in community. Each group will live, learn, and serve together in community. Each group will be required to say, how are we living together? How are we learning together? How are we serving together? If they're not doing those three things, it's not a grace group. It's just people getting together for coffee. Live Learn and serve together. We will continue to expand current legacy grace groups. You know, we have some already, like the food pantry team. They're living, learning, and serving together. That's a big one. And it includes people that aren't part of our church and other parts of our community, which is really cool. You know, we have another legacy grace group. It's called Deep End. They've been living, learning, and serving together for five years, taking care of one another, loving one another when they're hurting and they're sick. We got some really cool shepherds in training running that deep end group, let me tell you. They're amazing. We have another legacy group called the worship team who's been living, learning, and serving together since the beginning. And they've gone through fiery trials. Losing our brother Al was not easy. You think he left a hole in your life? Think about those who worked with him every week. But that is a legacy grace group. We're going to add many new ones. Each one is different, unique. I think one that I'm going to be in, I think we're going to call it believers with baggage. That's going to be right right up my alley, you know? (laughs) Believers with baggage, I like it. Each group will be uniquely organic and different with the goal of having one each grace lifer would be able to connect with. Some will be permanent. Some will be temporary. But each one will look and feel different, but they will all do three things. Live, learn, and serve. Together. You must be connected to endure the trials that are to come. The purification that is to come. You must be connected. Judgment in the house of God, is here. But don't be nervous. Embrace it. You need a game. You need to see where you're at. It's game time, Grace Life. Are we actually ready to play? Or you just want to keep practicing? Heavenly Father, we we are tired of being those who try to follow you in narcissistic solitude. We're tired of being people who follow and attach ourselves to the household of God when it's convenient. When we've gotten enough sleep, when our schedule works out. Lord, we want to have our faith verified because we are those who make a priority out of proclamation, integrity, and industry. We want to know that our faith is verified because no matter what happens we are ready at any moment to share the love of christ we are those who are so zealous for good we would give up everything necessary to make sure it is accomplished we want to follow the example of our first century brothers and sisters in christ who endured things a hundred times worse than we could ever imagine in america And yet their legacy has left us the opportunity to be followers of Jesus. Lord, we want to play a game. We're tired of practicing. We want to play. We want to see where we're at, where we need to grow. Lord, help us to learn what it means as a church to live, learn, and serve in community together. Help us to be ready for judgment in the household of God with confidence and courage, knowing that the same spirit that rested upon them also rests upon us. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be ready for announcements about grace groups. We'll find one you like, we hope. Have a great week.